Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now searching for Atlantis. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we've got a review for Marvel's newest Disney Plus show, Echo. Plus, we're discussing our top 10 most anticipated films for 2024. But quick show note, just so that we can make sure that we have enough time to talk all those films. We're going to skip wrestling this week, but we'll be right back to talking AEW next week. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. But with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, up first, we got official confirmation that we've got a brand new Star Wars film on the horizon. It was announced this past week on StarWars.com that another Mandalorian film is coming called The Mandalorian and Grogu. This is said to be arriving before the previously announced film being directed by Dave Filoni. This one will, of course, you know, feature Grogu and Mando and will be directed by Jon Favreau. Rumors had been floating around that they would be, you know, doing a Mando film instead of a season four, but Deadline sources claim this film is not taking the place of a season four as they say that season is still in development. Element, though this hasn't been confirmed by Lucasfilm just yet. Now you already mentioned it, but just to clarify, this is something completely separate from the Dave Filoni film that's supposed to be wrapping up all the Mandalorian era storylines, which would be Ahsoka, Book of Boba Fett, Correct. obviously the Mandalorian, and then the yet-to-be-released skeleton crew. Um, now, this story isn't necessarily like a big surprise because you know we've heard rumors for quite a while since the end of season three of mandalorian that you know we might be getting a film um but it was always kind of assumed that would be instead of a season four so the big surprise is there might actually be a season four still um which i don't know if that's going to be taking place before the film or after the film. Uh, but now the, all the articles that we've read is stating that the film is actually going to start production this year. And as far as we know, like season four hasn't even started production. So I'm guessing that means we're getting the film first. I mean, that makes the most sense. Uh, I, I, I would guess maybe the film will just be a teaser for bigger events in season four. Right? Maybe. I mean, I could see the, I mean, it could be just like an epilogue and then really just setting up Filoni's uh-huh. film also. Because we also, you know, we didn't talk about this, but we got confirmation from Disney too that there is going to be a season two of Ahsoka, which is huge news. Uh, Thank God. Well, I think a lot of people got scared this past week because Rosario Dawson came out and said that no one's actually even talked to her about season two of Ahsoka. So a lot of people were questioning like whether or not it was even happening. Um, which I think would be just absurd because they left so many like loose ends, um, so many like plot lines just kind of hanging. Um, what? 
I think we were all, we were speculating that she just shows up, you know, like, oh, we had this grand adventure <laughs> and it, it like just plays into the final film. Well, no, you were speculating that. I was saying, <laughs> I was saying there's no way that they left her <laughs> on this planet <laughs> without some kind of resolution. So um, it felt like they were definitely headed mm -hmm. towards a season two because we still have to figure out what's going on with the Mortis God storyline. So, um, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of you know, plot lines just mm -hmm. dangling there. So, I mean, they, there has to be some sort of resolution happening. Um, you know, I mean, I guess it, there, there's a world where that could take place in Filoni's film, um, but that feels like there would just be way too much yeah. work. If you're trying to do a big climax film, wrapping up all the, you know, series stories, so. Well, I feel um, like anything with the Mortis gods, you have to let breathe. <laughs> yes it's way too much lore <laughs> yes to do in addition to you know book of boba fett uh -huh. and skeleton crew whatever the hell's going on there um you know and let alone you know mando and not to mention the fact that we've got thrawn's arrival you know back in the galaxy so yeah they've got they've got a lot going on here so i mean in my book this is all good news i'm glad that filoni's steering the ship uh, I'm also glad that Favaro's on board to direct the Mando film. Uh, I I do hate the name, though. Uh, <laughs> it just feels so lazy. What is it, the Mandalorian and Grogu? Yes. We can we can do better than that. That's got to be the working title, right? I guarantee if there's anything more, it's just going to be like added on to that. It's not going to be like a uh -uh. subtitle. <laughs> the Mandalorian and Grogu, a Star Wars story. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Or like the adventures of, uh -huh. right? <laughs> it's just lazy, come on. But yeah, I mean, this is definitely good news. Like I said, um, I'm just glad that Star Wars is headed back in the theaters, honestly. Yeah, but you know, Book of Boba Fett season two, when? Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> they could definitely wrap up that storyline in uh -huh. the film, I feel like, right? Like that, that just feels like an ancillary story. So I'm good if we don't get a season two of Book of Boba Fett. And this is from a hardcore Boba Fett fans so but i guess you never know but we also have the ray film starting production i believe like second quarter this year so i'm, I'm guessing that the ray film is going to come out before any of this i believe so i think that's because there was rumored for next or i think 20 like sometime mid 2025 or later uh for a star wars film to be coming out yeah and i think that start date is pretty official i mean at least as as official as things can be nowadays but yeah i mean everyone's favorite you know galaxy far far away has a lot going on right now and i'm here for it i mean as long as it doesn't suck well moving on to marvel it looks like we've got a big rumor for spider-man 4. known industry insider daniel rpk this week claimed that the next spider-man film could feature both daredevil and ant-man with matt murdoch apparently getting a larger role in the film as sort of the kind of like the mentor role that we've seen now from like Tony Stark and Doctor Strange across the Spider-Man films. The film itself is rumored to begin shooting late this year with John Watts on to continue directing. Interesting. So I'm assuming that Spider-Man 4 will probably come out after Daredevil Born Again. So I'm wondering if any of his storylines will play into the film. Hmm. Um, you know, spoilers for Echo, but we know that Wilson Fisk is running for mayor. At least that's where it seems like the Daredevil series is probably headed. Um, it's definitely a different take on, you know, the, the title Born Again. Um, but 
you know, it is what it is. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, could we possibly see Spider-Man having to deal with a Mayor Fisk? Could that be part of the storyline? I mean, it's always been fun to see Spider-Man and Fisk go to blows. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's two very different fighting mm. styles going on there. So uh, it's a fun juxtaposition. Uh, you know, I mean, part of me hates the fact that, like, we've got this formula now where, you know, Peter has to have a mentor every film. <laughs> um, like, like, is it time for Peter just to have his own solo story? Because really, if you think about it, even in the second film, I mean, you've got Fury there, mm -hmm. right? Like, he's kind of playing that role. Um, or at least who we thought was Fury at the time. But I guess it kind of plays into where we left off with, you know, Peter at the end of the last film, where he's kind of stripped away from all his prior relationships, you know, with Strange mind-wiping everyone's memory of who Peter is. Uh, that would include the Avengers. So he doesn't have that, you know, stark, you know, Spidey suit anymore. Um, so this is a much more stripped down, probably brooding, angry Peter um, who would have probably more in common with someone like Matt Murdock than he would say, you know, a Tony Stark or even a Scott Lang, mm -hmm. right? Who I'm wondering if like his role in the film is to almost like symbolize Peter's past life as an Avenger. So you kind of have like these two separate paths represented by, you know, Lang and Murdoch, or they're just, you know, two glorified cameos that have nothing to do with the main story. <laughs> We're just speculating here, right? At this point in the MCU, like New York's really becoming a whole different animal. Um, you know, people are, there's more super beings and stuff like that. So maybe, you know, these are just a couple of the cameos we'll see going forward. Cause I mean, as, as it's been established through shows like Miss Marvel and stuff like that, you know, it's more people are getting their powers and New York's becoming a whole new, like, creation at this point. More of what we've seen from So you're comics. basically saying what I was just joking about, that they are just two glorified yeah, cameos. And... <laughs> Could be. Um, but if rumors are true, then Murdoch is going to be playing a bigger mm. part in the film. And, and once again, that just makes me wonder if, you know, Fisk isn't far behind. Um that Mayor Fisk storyline is an intriguing one. I believe a big part of that storyline, too, is Fisk outlawing superheroes in New York. So, you know, maybe we see a Spider-Man who's, like, being hunted down, uh, you know, by the police. Um, now, part of me is like, isn't that just the Sokovia Accord all over again? I still don't even fully understand what exactly happened there. <laughs> like, if do we get clarification? I believe... From if they, Daredevil, they they fixed that. <laughs> did they? Yeah, they said that the. Yeah. I think they said that the law got overturned right after the yeah. blip. Also, before we move on, uh, last week there was a story that we didn't get to cover because we we're doing our year in review. Stephen Yoon, who was going to play the Century, uh, has backed out of the Thunderbolts film uh, due to scheduling conflicts, which is too mm -hmm. bad. Um, I'm wondering who they're going to end up casting. Fingers crossed for Henry Cavill. <laughs> Just perfect. It would be the perfect uh, fit. It would just make so much sense that he would be like, you know, Marvel's damaged Superman. Is there someone you'd like to see play the role, Christian? You know, if he wasn't already in Spider-Man, uh, I would totally have J.K. Simmons at this point do it. If they weren't going to go with Henry Cavill, just because he's played Omni-Man. <laughs> that would make no sense whatsoever. <laughs> J.K. Simmons is like 60 years old. <laughs> it's just a, a CGI. They got the works. They, they can do it. 
Okay, anyway. Marvel doesn't do what, you know, Aquaman 2 just did. <laughs> what, with the de-aging technology no. you're talking oh, about? Oh my God, that last battle, sorry, spoilers a little bit here, but the last battle between Manta and Aquaman, it's like one cut and then they're all of a sudden GTA 5 video game characters fighting each other. Like, it's that bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, if you remember, and I love the film, but Black Panther had some really sketchy mm -hmm. uh, CGI, at you know, for the final battle uh, between Killmonger and Black Panther, um, where they literally looked yeah. like a video game. Uh, so it was, it was on you know, that level, but a little bit worse. <laughs> well, and also Black Panther took place, what, like five mm -hmm. years ago. So you would hope that CGI is improving at this point. But apparently that's not the case across the board. <laughs> <laughs> what about Cena? I could see it. Could you see John well, Cena? I, I don't think he has him. the emotional range. <laughs> Although I guess, I guess he displays some some range during uh, Peacemaker, mm. so he could I, he could pull it off. Yes, but you, you got my um, joke, you right? know, that I couldn't see him in the role. What? Oh, I got you. <laughs> okay, Shut there up. we go. I'm just choosing to ignore it. <laughs> Anyway, a lot of people, too, are calling for uh, the guy um, who plays Reacher. Oh, okay. Do you, have you watched that series no, at all? It's very, apparently, it's super popular. I did not realize this. Yes. But, um... I didn't either. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're just kind of like living in a bubble. But yeah, no, it, 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 it's got quite a fan base. So, I mean, the dude's jacked. Mm. I don't think I've seen him in anything else. He at least looks the part. I just don't know about his you know, acting abilities. But I definitely want to check out the series now. It's, I mean, it sounds like it would be, you know, something in my wheelhouse. It's just a big dude, like, walking around breaking backs mm -hmm. and shit, so. <laughs> apparently he wants... There's nothing wrong with mm -hmm. that. Apparently he wants to play Batman in the uh, DC films whenever they, you know, cast the new one. Okay, I mean, like uh, I said, I mean, I, I've i never seen the dude before in anything, so, I mean, maybe he could play the part. I mean, he's really jacked, though, <laughs> so he'd probably have to, like, you know, trim down a little, I guess. Because I always think of Batman as more of like an Olympic athlete, not like some giant bodybuilder. Although sometimes in the comic books, he's kind of portrayed mm. that way. Anyway, up next, we've got some horror news. It looks like The Last of Us Season 2 has finally found their Abby. Recently, it was rumored that Caitlin Dever was being eyed for the role of Abby in The Last of Us Season 2. And now Variety has learned from HBO that she has been officially locked in. Caitlin Dever is best known for last year's No One Will Save You and 2019's Booksmart. Joining Caitlin as new additions to the show is Isabella Merst of Dora and the Lost City of Gold fame, who will be playing Dina, and young Mazzino of Netflix's beef fame will be playing Jesse, both of which are major side characters from the game. Well, moving on, it looks like Guillermo del Toro's upcoming Frankenstein film for Netflix has casted a new monster. Deadline reports that Jacob Elrodi from the hit series Euphoria and more recently Saltburn has been casted as Frankenstein's monster in Guillermo del Toro's Netflix adaptation. Originally, Andrew Garfield was slated for the role, but had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts after the SAG strike. So while I think, you know, Garfield's a fantastic actor, I, I just can't picture him playing the monster. Uh, when, you know, news came of him being casted for this film, I assumed he was going to actually be playing uh, uh, Victor Frankenstein. I, I didn't have him pegged for the monster at all. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like Jacob is probably a better fit. Uh, Saltburn was the first time that I've seen him in anything. And, I mean, the dude's got acting chops and he's super charismatic. So, um, and, like, I think physically he matches up 
a little better with the monster mm. depending on what they do with the look. I mean, it's Del Toro, so you know they're going to give him a crazy look. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm excited for this film, though, right? Because it also has uh, Oscar Isaac in it and Mia Goth. So, I mean, it's got quite the cast. And once again, it's, it's Del Toro. And lastly, before we go, uh, the story actually just dropped. It looks like officially we're going to be getting a 28 Years Later film. Obviously a sequel to Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later for that matter. So we did hear rumors a while back that this might be in the works. Um, it looks like Danny Boyle will be in the director's chair and Alex Garland will be returning to pen the script. I'm all for this. Um, there are also talks that this might be the start of a new trilogy, which is curious. Um, Scope-wise, they must have their eyes set on a bigger story, I'm guessing, if they're looking yeah, at Yeah, I mean, trilogy. from interviews that we've seen uh, in the past from both Boyle and Garland um, have, you know, stated that if they were to do another, you know, film, it would be a much bigger production compared to, you know, the previous ones, which, you know, could be a good thing or a bad thing. And they must have a big enough story to tell over three films. So uh, I'm just happy in knowing that, you know, if this does become a trilogy, it was something that was planned by the artists and not just some like studio cash mm. grab. Cause sometimes you're always questioning whether or not that's the case. I could also see a world too, where, you know, after the first film, Garland maybe, you know, takes the director's chair, um, you know, for the second, especially since he's made such a name for himself recently. Naming convention wise with a trilogy, what do you do years, then decades, then centuries? Like, I don't think they need to go with the gimmick of the name, though, Christian. Like, we don't need to do a whole fucking calendar uh -huh. bit. <laughs> I hope that's not what they're basing the story on. And we don't get, like, you know, 28 eons or something like that with, like, zombies in space uh -huh. or something ridiculous. Right next to Jason. Also, speaking of trilogies, uh, the news just dropped that David Gordon Green has exited the Exorcist trilogy. Also, it looks like the upcoming sequel, Exorcist Deceiver, has been removed from the calendar altogether. So my guess is after the first film didn't do so well, uh, the studio just chose to kind of wash their hands altogether of the idea of, a, you know, a trilogy, which I'm fine with. It's the wise thing to do rather than, you know, go through with it. <laughs> so the difference is, you know, with the, the whole situation with Halloween becoming a trilogy and everything like that, with David Gordon Green obviously helming it, was the first film 2018 was successful that's when they announced after that that's when they announced it becoming a trilogy because that makes mm -hmm. sense right <laughs> because you don't just give someone a trilogy without like proof of concept unless they've really proven themselves before i just can't imagine making that choice especially after seeing halloween kills and ends which were just the drizzling shits so um i, I was still scratching my head you know with that decision from blumhouse um, you know, I, and I know they kind of, I think they penned the deal, you know, prior to those movies being mm. released, but man, unless they're like already in production, like <laughs> you pull the fucking cord, man. Well, we could have got Pazuzu dies tonight, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> so fucking awful. I can't get over that. The whole, what, what was his name? Corey? What? I... <laughs> What are we doing? <laughs> what are we fucking doing here? Like, here's an idea. Let's tell the final Halloween story and not have Michael Myers be the killer. <laughs> like, is there no fucking oversight by the studio? Like, does, does fucking David Gordon Green have blackmail on Jason Lightbloom? Like, what's happening? And now for the Nerds Review of Marvel's Echo. 
Warning heavy spoilers ahead. You're ready. For what? To move from the theoretical to the practical. You and I, we are the only ones we can trust. That's your final lesson. So Maya's mission returns her to her hometown in Oklahoma, where she is reluctantly forced to reconnect with her past and her estranged family. It's here that she comes to a crossroad when she starts to develop mysterious powers through her Native American ancestors, all at the same time as she discovers that her uncle, the Kingpin, is still very much alive. Um, somehow, right? Uh... So to say Echo was a mixed bag for me would probably be an understatement. Um, while I appreciated the like, overall story that they were trying to tell, the execution, though, was lackluster. Um, most of my points of contention are the usual issues I have with most MCU series, except I feel like this time around they were even more egregious. Uh, so many scenes were truncated. Uh, it just felt like the series never got into a different gear, if that makes any sense. Just when things would like start to get going, they would just abruptly end, just losing all momentum. Now, with all that being said, I, I did enjoy the characters and I thought the performances were strong. Like, I enjoyed watching Maya rekindle these relationships with her family and, you know, learn about her past. But at the same time, I wish we got more flashbacks from her past life as a criminal and her relationship with, you know, the Kingpin. They give us, like, a taste here and there, but it's not nearly as much as I expected to get in this series. And instead, it really, like, left them selling the strength of their bond through just, like, the sheer powerhouse-like performance of D'Onofrio, <laughs> who was amazing, you know, as Kingpin once again, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, Always is. Yeah, right. Uh, it, it just, for me, was just a whole lot of stop and start. Like, there were flourishes of potential that just ended up going nowhere, like, throughout every episode. Even, like, the fight like sequences really nice moments here and there but not enough of them they really like sold this show on the grit and violence like this was somehow going to break the mcu mold and bring back the old netflix marvel feel uh but this show never quite got there at least yeah. for me uh and there were like some decisions that were just fucking baffling <laughs> Like Maya having to fucking build a roller skate gun for crying out loud. Like, why would this train assassin have <laughs> such a hard time taking out these fucking like trio of rubes? Like with just one gun amongst them. And then once we get to the climax of that whole episode and there's this full out brawl at the roller rink with Rob Zombie pumping over the speakers, they for some reason decide to intercut it with scenes of her ancestors. Now, I understand what they were trying to go for, but it becomes a case of show me, don't tell me. Like, you could have conveyed that through the actual fight sequence. You didn't have to constantly show me flashbacks of scenes that we've already seen over and over again in the first three episodes. 
Um, it just really took away from like the action and just the momentum of the moment. So in the comics, like Maya is an extremely skilled fighter who can copy anyone's fighting style with a few hours of like studying tape. She can go like toe to toe with some of the best fighters in the world. I mean, in her first confrontation with Daredevil in the comics, she's able to take him out because she's prepping for it. I mean, it's very similar to Taskmaster's power set. And while I enjoyed them like tying the origin of her powers to her like Native American culture, undefined glowy flashy hands though is just way too generic <laughs> of a power set. Um, I think there was a way to like have your cake and eat it too. They could have like just upgraded her comic book like photographic fighting skill power set uh, and still like tied it into her ancestors at the same time, if that makes any sense. Like in the final fight, uh, in the finale, there's a real nice moment where we see the different generations of her ancestors standing united and like channeling through Maya. But then unfortunately, like I was taken right out of it by watching her grandmother like kung fu fight like thugs. And like, I understand what they were trying to do, but let, let me see Maya at full power, like in her final form. Like, <laughs> I don't need to see grandma fucking, you know, karate chopping, you know, thug number three. Um, you know, I want to see Maya you know, being a total badass. And we didn't get enough of that in this series, I feel like. And then unfortunately, like the fight just kind of ended, which takes me back to my original complaint that the whole series just feels completely gutted for some reason. Like they got some strange edict to keep it at five episodes. So there's like a couple episodes just laying on the editing room floor somewhere in Marvel Studios. Now, on a positive note, I will say I did like how they chose to use sound to give her perspective during the fights. But at the same time, they didn't do it enough. Like, I almost felt like those sequences were better in the Hawkeye series when they first introduced, like, you know, how she hears things. And exactly. How Hawkeye was right. Like, this felt things. almost like a downgrade to her character's, mm -hmm. like, prowess. Um, so to say the least, I was definitely disappointed because there was a lot of potential here. And I liked a lot of the characters that they introduced. Um, and I think Maya is a great character who I want to see flourish in the MCU. But while the show was very good at times, it was never quite great. So for my grade, because I'm just going to go ahead and grade this thing right now, I'm going to go ahead and give it a C minus. Um, like it, it sucks because oh, wow. I loved a lot of the characters. Like I said, I, I just I just wish they were part of a better show. <laughs> I just feel like there's a huge like behind the scenes story here. They'll come to light in a couple of years that we just don't know about right now because everything just felt so off kilter, like the pacing, the editing. Um I don't know, man. Like, th th there was something else going on. There has to be to make sense of all this. I mean, like, once the show ended, I, I was really, like, left, like, scratching my head and contemplating, like, what went wrong. And, like, don't get me wrong. This isn't, like, Secret Invasion bad or anything. Like, there's the bones of a good story here. Um, but the, the whole, like, season feels more of a, like, outline or, like, a rough draft than, like, a fully formed you know, show. Um, and I'm just thinking that there has to be like some like 
behind the scenes story um, that makes sense of all this. Like some big story that's gonna like come to the light of day years later <laughs> in some kind of like interview or something like that. Whereas like, what the fuck actually happened here? Because it just, it just really doesn't make any sense. Like from the pacing to the editing, like something once again was just off kilter. Um, I don't know. I mean, nevertheless, this is what we got. This is what we ended up with. Um, you know, for me, obviously the pacing was an issue, um, especially in a show where it felt like, like I agree, every time we felt like we were getting going somewhere, it would just stop every single time. Um, and it was, it was frustrating, but I thought, okay, maybe we're, we're just saving it all for the end, right? We're, we're saving it up for a big fight for that final moment. You know, we'll see Echo all suited up. <laughs> Which, go up by the way, Kingpin. they still um, had you know, to like shoehorn the MCU Disney Plus trope of yes. like the hero in the finale getting the new like costume. And <laughs> I was like, really? Come on. Uh, of and, course. I mean, they try to tie it into the story organically <laughs> and it, it kind of worked. But like Maya's not really known for her costume or anything either. So at least she wasn't when I was, you mm -hmm. know, you know, reading her stories in the beginning. So it just felt so forced to me. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. I mean, I think the last comic I saw her in, she was like in a bright white suit. Like, yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, apparently, too, she also has like the Phoenix Force power. Or at least she did at one point. So everyone has yes, at least one. Yes. Right? I mean, they've, they've powered her up <laughs> since then and everything like that. Uh -huh. So. But like, like back to her powers, it wasn't like just magic, flashy, glowy hands either. Like mm -hmm. there's an origin story there that makes sense, like a defined power set. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. But it's just like the fact that there wasn't even a really a punch thrown by Kingpin in that sequence. You know, he just immediately is attacked by her and he she does her magical powers that are so vaguely described. That I feel like will become a crutch if they continue to use her in any other series because they can just say, oh, yeah, it's just something that she's able to do. You know, it's yeah. not something like it's just not really defined well enough for me to really believe in whatever ability she has right now. I like the concept of like, you know, she has the echoes of her, you know, family and stuff like that within her. Um, and there's definitely, you know, the possibility of if they continue doing a series like this to show other ancestors and stuff like that. But again, when it like, like even when they showed the mom heal a bird, I was like, what does that have to do with your ancestors abilities? And I was like, what's, what's the echo here? What, what, what does this mean? You know, like, because was, the bird was dead too. So it was like, can you just resurrect people? Yeah. Like what's, what is this ability? I don't understand. It was um, very Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Even like the uh, finale with her ancestors all standing behind her and everything mm -hmm. like that's kind of like <laughs> what we should have visually got in with that race scene you know when all the jedis are like speaking to her uh -huh. um like i actually liked that moment don't get me wrong but then once again then we've got grandma you know you know karate choppy motherfuckers so i don't know it just took me right out of it but you're i mean you're dead right about the powers absolutely like i mean i understand like her ancestors are echoing through her i get that mm -hmm. And it seems like they were trying to explain all the different, like, tr like power sets she has through the different ancestors. But, like, we don't see her use the powers enough to understand exactly what that all means. Like, that could have been a bigger fight sequence where she then, you know, 
displays all of her new skills. Um, but that's not what we well, got. Like, even that memory sequence with Kingpin, you know, being forced to relive a horrible moment, he should have come out of that swinging. Because, like, obviously, it's, you know, based off of what we saw at the end credits, he hasn't changed as a person. He's still going to do, you know, his kind of villain, you know, in this axe you know, going forward. So I thought, like, you know, in that moment, I was like, did she just do something incredibly crazy and heal the most traumatic moment of his life and change him as a character forever going forward? But that wouldn't make sense, you know, considering that we have Daredevil coming up and he's probably going to be the main driving force for that series or the main villain. And could that be something that plays into the Daredevil series where you're kind of questioning whether or not Kingpin is actually turning a new leaf? Like, mm -hmm. was he healed by Maya? Like you were saying, it almost felt like Maya's power in that moment was like the opposite of like Ghost Rider's like pen and stare, um, where instead of like, you know, punishing someone by making them relive their most traumatic moments, she's mm -hmm. going in and making them relive them, but then like trying to heal them at the same time. I didn't mind that moment so much because it, it once again, it shows that their bond is real. Like, she still cares for Wilson. And in turn, you could chalk up Wilson not raising a hand to Maya because he still loves her. I just wish we got more moments, you know, through the use of, like, flashbacks where we could see their relationship, you know, develop and deepen. Because otherwise, we're just left having to trust Wilson at his word when he's pleading with Maya. But we know as audience members that Wilson is a sociopath. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a case, once again, of, you know, show me, don't tell me. You know, I want to see this relationship kind of form. And obviously, when you have a five-episode count, you're kind of left in a crunch, and you're you're forced to give this watered-down version of the relationship. I mean, hopefully they are able to expand on it in, in the future, and we see the character more. I, I don't want this to be, like, the end for Echo in general, like, or at least we don't see her um in series like daredevil or something like that i feel like there's so much still to tell yeah i mean do you think she shows up in born again i mean it, maybe to help out daredevil at some point like she's watching from afar and like maybe hoping that you know fisk has actually turned a new leaf and you know is trying to do some good and then once things go wrong she mm -hmm. shows up to assist daredevil i could see something like that playing out I mean, we do know that that series supposedly has like an 18 episode, you know, count, <laughs> <laughs> which it's almost like, couldn't you share like some of those episodes with <sighs> poor old Echo? <laughs> like, they have more faith I really in that feel like this, I guess. Because if you remember, originally this series was slated for eight episodes and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, it felt like in the middle of the production, it got cut down to five. Um, so it's it's a little suspect. Mm -hmm. Like once again, I feel like something was going on behind the scenes that we're not like privy to. But I don't know if that story will ever come to the light of day. I mean, I sure hope that that's the case. You know, that something that that we're missing something here. Because we look back to the episode where you know it, one of our ancestors is having to win a game and use strategy to beat this like bigger brooding guy to to defeat him. That plays into what's supposed to be you know maya overcoming the whole roller rink sequence but we don't really like because that's so cut short we don't get to see her play in with that strategy at all maybe the excuse is that you know she used strategy with the roller skate gun but i don't i didn't feel enough connective tissue between 
the past, you know, the ancestor's story to what they were doing later on in the actual episodes. Like you said, with the Rob Zombie whole like sequence, I didn't see her using enough strategy as it seemed like that that was supposed to be the theme of the episode to like for it to matter. You know, and even so, she still got beat like halfway like through anyway. She's still lost. And let alone like the strategy made no sense. Like she had to build a roller skate gun to take out this light where it looked like she could just literally throw the bolt to break it. Like she didn't need the gun at all. It just felt like someone on the writing team was a big like MacGyver fan or something <laughs> like that. Like it was like so unnecessary and weird. It was very odd, especially the echo someone who went up against like a full on widow. I mean, she she, she can fight. stand toe to toe against Daredevil yes. like, in this season, <laughs> in this series. And she can't handle three schlubs with a gun like it just didn't add up to me. It made no sense. And I understand, like, maybe she was in a weakened state because she didn't have her like true prosthetic leg. But at the same time, that's not the source of her power. No. And they didn't so harp on she, that enough in that moment. No. either. No, it made no sense whatsoever. I mean, like you said, Hawkeye did a better job of demonstrating like what a badass Echo really is. Hell, I might even argue that Hawkeye's whole series was more violent <laughs> than this. Yes, that, that, you know, there's a couple scenes here and there, like they showed more blood, you know, at certain moments. Um, but overall, like besides like a couple necks getting cracked, like I felt like this was more on par with like Moon Knight mm -hmm. than anything. And I could argue Moon Knight felt a little more gritty. And that's a series with a giant Egyptian hippo deity. Like what happened here? I mean, I know we're saying a whole lot of negatives. I mean, there was some really good performances in this. Um, you know, I love the granddad. Um, I, I thought the grandmother did a great job of showing like, you know, while while her motivations are a little shitty, you know, it, it her I trauma. I think she was the biggest villain of the entire show. <laughs> her trauma is on display the whole time. She felt like the awful grandma from uh, Encanto. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you disowned your granddaughter because your daughter died in an act. Like, I was like, what? I, I don't understand. Like, how selfish <laughs> could you possibly be? What an awful person. Mm. Like, I understand she's going through a lot of grief, but like to disown your granddaughter, pretty much. What are we doing? Like, <laughs> like the whole like Maya never reached out to me. It's just like, but you're the. You're the older here. You're the, like the elder. You're supposed to yes. nurture this child. Just awful. Ugh. Awful. Yeah, because like I didn't blame Maya at all for not wanting to see her. And I was happy like when they did actually like have their sit down meeting that Maya still walked away disgusted pretty much because I was worried that she would just like forgive her mm -hmm. and that would be it. Yeah, that would would have made no sense if they like made up in that scene. Yeah, instead she gave her Kung Fu powers. <laughs> That was fine. I thought that was fine that because was, that was awful. Because that was because awful then you, she wouldn't have had to have worried about woman. them, and then she could fight Fisk. But then she didn't fight Fisk, Shh. and then that became a problem. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just took me out of the scene watching this little old woman become a fucking Power Ranger and take out these thugs. Um, I would much rather have it be Maya saving the grandmother and cousin mm -hmm. and like taking out the thugs all by herself. And once again, like putting her new powers on display. So I think overall, I'm probably going to give it a C plus, but I don't know. All these negatives make me want to go lower. Now. 
Go with your heart. Because, like, I, I understand what you're saying, though, because I really did enjoy the mm -hmm. characters. And I appreciate the story that they were trying to tell. It's just the execution got in the way. Yeah. It's almost like they really fell in love with the family story. And then they just, like, ran out of time for everything else. <laughs> to the point where you could almost feel, like, the cuts being made within the scenes. Like, that dinner scene, that sit-down scene between Kingpin and Maya. They, they don't even eat. They just sit down. Yeah. Like, Kingpin gives her an ultimatum. He doesn't even take a sip of the soda that he gets. And then he just walks out. So I was like, wait, what just happened? But you know what wasn't actually, like, a really, you know, big positive for me was the opening credits every single time. I, I thought this was like fucking James Bond level of an opener every single episode. It's so strange for me because even the score was kind of uneven. Like I enjoyed like the needle drops, you know, like the Rob Zombie songs and, you know, the other song choices they made in the actual like soundtrack soundtrack of it all. But like the score itself would go from, you know, something quality wise on par with what you typically would get from like a MCU series or film. And then it would all of a sudden go to like bad, like 90s action movie, you know, with like really heavy, like cheesy kind of sounding guitars <laughs> um, that that once again, just kind of like took me out of, you know, the moments. Um, I don't know if you got that vibe at I all. Know, I didn't really notice the score. It wasn't that memorable for me. Like I wasn't paying attention too much to like the actual music of the show. I don't feel this time around. Like it didn't stand out at least. Which could also be a problem. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> it just sucks because I know we've been incredibly negative about the show, but like I still have a lot of hope for the character. And I do think Alaco Cox is tremendous in the role, but, but man, I just feel like this show didn't really do the actress and the character any justice whatsoever. Hopefully the next time she pops up, they have a better like streamlined vision of what they want from the character. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. All right, 2023 was a massive year in gaming, and so far it's looking like, you know, 2024 is not going to lose any of that momentum for the games industry with a ton of games I'm looking forward to. So I thought I'd give you my personal top five anticipated games for the year. So let's go ahead and get right on into it. Number five, Banishers, Ghost of New Eden. Though we haven't seen too much of it yet, what little gameplay we've gotten has reminded me a lot of that, you know, Witcher 3 feel and has caught my attention every single time. It's a third person RPG where you'll hunt, you know, supernatural creatures with what I believe is your dead wife with every new choice kind of affecting what happens to her as you choose to either let her go or continue to fight on. It looks like it's going to be a very deep storyline and I'm interested to see, you know, what kind of dynamics they do and how your choices, you know, affect probably your abilities while using her as well. Um, it's something I can't wait to get my hands on and that's, you know, should be coming out uh, February 13th. Number four, Rise of Ronin. Coming from Team Ninja, many have compared this game to Ghost of Tsushima, which was an absolutely great game that I you know, personally loved. It's something that we streamed when we first started getting into streaming again. But looking at the style and combat, Rise of Ronin seems to be just on a whole different level. And I'm not surprised because it's Team Ninja. I mean, they did Neo and Ninja Gaiden. So this game just looks, you know, balls to the wall crazy. But you'll be playing during the, you know, end of the samurai era in 1863 Japan. And like many of the games that you'll probably see on this list and many of the games I love in general, there's a lot of player choice here that will affect the storyline and shape the course of history um, with this game coming to PS5 on March 21st. 
Number 3. Star Wars Outlaws. Still scheduled to come out this year. Well, at least fingers crossed that it might still be coming out this year. I could definitely see um, this getting pushed back. But Star Wars Outlaws absolutely took me by surprise last year. During like the Summer Games Fest, I think that's when they showed it off. Um, it's Ubisoft's you know, first time making a Star Wars adventure. Uh, personally, I haven't been a big fan of Ubisoft's open world experience for quite a while, but this game seems to be you know, the company's shining jewel as gameplay showed features and style outside the box of the usual experience that I've seen you know, in games like Watch Dogs, Assassin's Creed, and more. I mean, I even tried to get into uh, Far Cry 6 recently, and it just, I, I got super bored of the usual experience I get from them. And you're playing, you know, a different type of character, not just your, you know, usual Jedi or Sith type of character. Um, this time you're a scoundrel like Han Solo playing as Kay Vess, who's gambling her fate away as she, you know, completes smuggling jobs across the galaxy and falls into a bigger score than she anticipated. There is, you know, player choice to this one, of course, but it didn't feel like, you know, from what I saw in the trailers, um, it affecting the story all that much. I mean, I know that there's gonna be a big reputation system and it'll probably affect how much money you can make on certain jobs. So we'll see how all that plays out. It's also during, you know, you know, an empire controlled era, which is something that we haven't gotten to see too much of outside of what, you know, went down in the films. So I'm excited to explore this, you know, as this character. And, you know, I'm glad that other studios are getting an opportunity to pick up Star Wars and give us new interpretations for the universe. But like I said up top, um, right now there isn't a solid release date just yet. It just says late 2024 and hopefully, you know, it does come out. But if it needs more time, it needs more time. I'm not one of those people that says, you know, oh, I need it to come out on the date it said. Just, just please Ubisoft, give this as much time as you need as any Star Wars game will make you tons of money no matter how long it takes to come out. Number two, Hellblade 2, Senua's Saga. It was recently announced that Xbox will be doing another developer direct next week and Hellblade 2 is set to be, you know, there with hopefully a more concrete release date. But this is a title I'm super excited for. Um, the first game I decided to try out on a whim on um, stream, of course, as I wanted, you know, something new to play and absolutely fell in love with the gameplay and its dark story. It was definitely a smaller budgeted experience, but since its initial success, it looks like, you know, it has gained quite a larger budget for its sequel, um, as trailers and gameplay seem to all indicate a much bigger game. Of course, I can't, you know, decipher what's exactly going on. It's all mind bending and, you know, horrific in general. So if it, as long as it captures the tone of that first game and gives us again some solid fighting mechanics, I'm you know going to be super into it just like I was with the first one. And I can't wait to talk about it more on next week's episode as we get a you know a better idea of when this is possibly coming out. Hopefully, number one about speaking of a game being shown off at the developer direct my number one most anticipated game has to be avowed right now um, obsidian wanted to take a stab at their own skyrim and while this is definitely not going to be anywhere near the scale obsidian's track record sells me on it altogether it's looking to be kind of a similar or simpler tale sort of like outer worlds where choice and replayability was more of the key factor in their you know game development for this as you're thrown into the living lands to investigate a spreading plague where your actions will either save or destroy these lands outer worlds was an absolute blast so i don't mind this game not being on the scale of skyrim per se and i'm excited to see how wild this story goes we are set to get a full in-depth package for it next week at the developer direct so hopefully my opinion doesn't change after that but personally i'm 
super happy with what they've shown off so far um a lot of people i know complained about it being more colorful than the original initial like trailers that they showed off um i i don't see any issues with that it just reminds me more of outer world so you know if it's not broken don't fix it right <laughs> i can't wait to talk more about it we'll talk about it on next week's episode after the developer direct um there's a ton of other games coming out you know there's endless zone zero pacific drive and a whole lot more this list could have easily became a top 10 or you know 20 uh so i'm keeping it simple these are the top five for right now but if there's something you think i should be keeping an eye out on let us know on social media at amazing nerd show but um all right with that said, let's go ahead and move on to our most anticipated films of 2024. And now for the Nerds Top 10 Most Anticipated Films of 2024. And now, our feature presentation. Well, 2024 has officially arrived, and so has a brand new crop of films for us to get excited for. Uh, if you're a regular listener of the show, you know this is typically the time of year where we preview films that we're most looking forward to in the new year. Uh, this year, in the name of keeping our sanity, since these preview shows get rather long in the tooth, we're changing up our format somewhat and whittling down our list to just our top 10 most anticipated films of the year. Now, that being said, this year looks like no other that we've covered since starting the show six years ago. It amazingly only features one MCU film and one DC film with no Star Wars films in sight. And before you say anything, we're not counting Sony's bootleg Marvel films. <laughs> right, Christian? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Venom fans. Um, but that doesn't mean there are plenty of awesome films that we're looking forward to this year. As always, it goes without saying, the card's subject to change here. Some of these films right now don't even have concrete release dates. And with the whole movie industry being in flux right now, you never know if those dates might end up shifting to 2025. And on the other side of the spectrum, there are probably plenty of films coming out this year that are going to be awesome, but we just don't know about them yet. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into it. These are our top 10 most anticipated films of 2024, at least so far. Number 10, Civil War. Mr. President, do you regret the use of airstrikes against American citizens? We're moving to D.C. today. We need to go down there. They shoot journalists on sight in the Capitol. Every instinct in me says this is death. Blood it. Every time I survived the war zone, I thought I was sending a warning home. Don't do this. But here we are. In the near future, a team of journalists travel across the United States during a rapidly escalating civil war that has engulfed the entire nation. Civil War is directed by Alex Garland and stars Kirsten Dunst. So uh, this film might not technically be a horror film, but in my opinion, it by far looks like the scariest on our list. Uh, because nowadays, it looks like something that could possibly happen. Uh, and this is by Alex Garland, who doesn't pull any punches and, you know, brought to you like amazing thought provoking films like Ex Machina and Annihilation. Mm. So I'm excited to see what he has up his sleeve, but at the same time, a little terrified. I mean, hey, I thought Transformers fighting in Chicago was scary, so I can't imagine what seeing, you know, Alex Garland's version of the Civil War could be like. But like men aside, because I, I still don't understand what the hell happened in that film, um, I've really enjoyed all of Garland's work. Uh, so I'm I'm really looking forward to see, you know, what he does with this film and this concept. Well, it's coming out April 26th of this year. Number nine, Alien Romulus. 
Young people from a distant world must face the most terrifying life form in the universe. Alien Romulus is directed by Fede Alvarez and stars Isabella Merced. Fede Alvarez plus an alien film. Enough said, right? Uh, you sold me a ticket. I, I hope we get something scaled back like the original Alien movie. I mean, we've seen what Alvarez can do suspense-wise in Don't Breathe, so I'm sure he can make a claustrophobic nightmare of a film in space. And I can't imagine all the glorious violence that's gonna ensue. I've been waiting for a long time for them to go back to formula, so hopefully, you know, this delivers in that. But, you know, I, Don't Breathe 2 was also written by Fede Alvarez, uh, and that was... Uh, a weird <laughs> script indeed, so. Fingers crossed, Christian. Fingers crossed. You know, you, you never know what happens behind the scenes, exactly. right? Like, he didn't direct the film, at least. Yes. I mean, as long as he doesn't make the aliens into the heroes of the film, <laughs> I, I think we'll be okay. I don't know. I usually root for the xenomorphs anyway, so. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Me too. And this is said to be coming out August 14th. Number eight. A Quiet Place Day One. A Quiet Place Day One is directed by Michael Saranowski and stars Lopita Nyong'o and Joseph Quinn. And it currently does not have a synopsis. Um, so like the title says, this is obviously a day one film. Uh, and we got a taste of the initial invasion uh, in the second film, but it, it wasn't enough in my opinion. So hopefully this movie delivers uh, because the insanity of watching those weird eardrum creatures in the middle of a major city would just be pure chaos. Uh, I want to see, you know, the horror of people realizing that there's nowhere safe uh, to go and like just how long it actually takes them to figure out like the only way to survive is to shut the fuck up. And there's also the fact that I haven't seen Lupita in a bad role yet. Uh, so I definitely have high hopes for this film. I mean, honestly, even in that uh, shitty movie, Little Monsters, uh, she was one of the brightest parts it of that. It wasn't shitty. It, it was, was shit. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> there just wasn't enough blood and gore for you uh, and me. <laughs> but that's all right. <laughs> Not enough people got hurt. Anyway, um, if anyone's going to react well to monsters of this size, it's going to be Lupita. I mean, she's, she just has the range to do these types of roles. Uh, I love her in all horror films that she's been in, so. And I'm happy to see Joseph Quinn continuing to get, like, better roles. Yeah, he's definitely going to be the, like, it guy for mm -hmm. the next couple years, so. I mean, we've heard his name attached to a lot of projects of late. And that's probably not going to change anytime soon. Number seven, Beetlejuice 2. Beetlejuice 2 is directed by Tim Burton and stars Jenna Ortega, Michael Keane, and Winona Ryder. Now, a quick look behind the scenes. I actually wanted this film to be higher on this list, but... You know, I had a compromise with Christian. Um, <laughs> Tim Burton's Beetlejuice is the first film I remember seeing multiple times in the theater during its first run because I just loved it so much. And I just can't get over the fact that, you know, a year later after his return as Batman, Michael Keaton is now returning as Beetlejuice. Uh, hopefully they don't fuck it up like, you know, they did with The Flash, because this film is a pretty big deal and fans have been clamoring for a sequel for years. As long as Burton's got a, you know, clear vision behind it, I, you know that he's going to knock it out of the park. Sometimes I do feel like he's been phoning in some of his projects lately, but this is one that he definitely needs to go balls to the wall, old school, you know, everything that we got from the first film in this. 
Yeah, I mean, everything that we've heard from him in interviews when, you know, he was asked about this project throughout the years, it always sounded like he just didn't have the right story yet. Mm. So hopefully he's found that story. Um, and this is a real passion project for him. Because obviously, if he just wanted to cash a check, he he could have directed this movie years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but he chose not to. So I've got real high hopes for this film, if you can't tell. Well, you're going to have to wait till fall because it's coming out September 6th. Right in time for my birthday. Look at that. Happy birthday to me. Oh, uh -huh, sure. No one cares. All right. Next movie. <laughs> Tim Burton does damn it. <laughs> Number six, Dune Part Two. You've been fighting the Harkonnens for decades. Luke! My family's been fighting them for centuries. Your blood comes from dukes and great houses. Here, we're equal. What we do, we do for the benefit of all. Well, I'd very much like to be equal to you. Maybe I'll show you the way. Our characters reunite while seeking revenge against the conspirators who destroyed their lives. Dune Part 2 is directed by Denis Villeneuve and stars Florence Pugh, Timothy Chalamet, and of course, Zendaya. I'm not a Dune guy, and I literally have no idea where the story is going, but I loved what Villeneuve did with the first film, so I'm looking forward to see what happens next. Uh, the trailer was breathtaking and epic. We had some sandworm surfing going on, which might be something we also might see in Beetlejuice 2, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing this world on the big screen finally, because like the first film was a pandemic release and went straight to HBO Max, which is crazy to think because that film feels like the kind of movie you need to experience in the theater, but we never got that. I mean, maybe they do like a, a double feature type deal. I, you know, some theaters are definitely going to be doing that. I don't know if I could, I could sit through that much Dune. Yeah, that would be a good like <laughs> five hour block, right? <laughs> if not six hours. Um, I was no fan of the first film, but uh, the trailers have been looking really good and I'm curious to know where the story's going. So I'm, I'm going to re reluctantly walk into this one. <laughs> well, I think your biggest issue, if I remember right, was that the film just kind of ends, right? There's no actual like conclusion. You know, it definitely feels like part one of a bigger story. Yeah. And then it was, it was very boring, but <laughs> I don't remember you saying that. <laughs> I, I love Villanueva's work. It was, you know, beautiful. Apparently not. Beautiful <laughs> film. Still, it was so long, so much sand. I just. <laughs> you know what? I hate fucking sand, too, but I enjoyed this movie. So, um, but, you know, I was expected to have the same reaction going into the first film, but I ended up really enjoying it. Uh, but I, I I can understand where you're coming from. This least. one looks better. It looks like it's more action heavy, and that's probably what's going to draw me more into it, you know? Well, at least now listeners can see why it's such a struggle for us to do, like, these combined lists. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we usually do them separate. There's a lot of compromise going on behind the scenes. We, we have different tastes. We have different tastes. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> that's uh, this for one, sure. This one's coming out <laughs> March 1st this year. Number five, Joker 2. Joker Folia Du is directed by Todd Phillips and stars Joaquin Phoenix and Lady Gaga. So this is a film we can both agree on, correct? Yeah. 
you know, being on this list. I mean, it was up to you. This list would have like Sonic the Hedgehog 3 on it. So no, it wouldn't. I don't want it. Yes, it would. Get the fuck out of here. The movie was garbage. Right, show anyway. people, show people. <laughs> on Instagram, I want you to post your Sonic tattoo. The, the tattoo list continues to grow for longtime <laughs> listeners. My back is getting more and more covered. I, it's impressive work. You need to show it off. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, just like they transposed the Joker character over you know, taxi driver in the first film. Uh, I really envision this as, you know, Joker, you know, transposed over one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Uh, except, oh yeah, it's a fucking musical. Yeah. So, <laughs> which I mean, even though I'm not a big fan of the genre, I'm kind of excited for the idea of it. Now, to be honest, like, I'm not sure about Gaga as Harley, but I mean, she's impressed me in the past with her acting chops. So hopefully it's a good fit. I don't know how you feel about it, Christian. It's like I can picture her in the role very easily, but at the same time, I haven't liked most of her performances that I've seen her in, like House of Gucci and A Star is Born. It just didn't do enough for me um, whenever she's in these types of like major roles. You know what I, I really did enjoy her in was uh, American Horror Story. Mm. So and I feel like this role is probably more akin to you know something like that if that makes any sense okay i can see that yeah but you know me um i i do enjoy a dark musical you know phantom of the opera fucking sweeney todd i can get, i can get behind a joker themed musical i feel like todd phillips could really give us something twisted here oh well, i'm down i, I want to see it yeah and joaquin phoenix is always awesome right? exactly so this will be dancing down the stairs october 4th Number four, Maxine. The film follows Maxine, who was the only survivor of the bloody incidents of X, as she continues her journey towards fame to be an actress in 1980s Los Angeles. Maxine is directed by Ty West and stars Kevin Bacon, Giancarlo Esposito, and of course, Mia Goth. So yeah, I mean, this is Ty West ending his Mia Goth horror odyssey uh, as we follow Maxine into the 80s as she tries to live out her dreams of becoming a star. Um, yes. I love that West has filmed each one of these films in the style of the decade that they take place in. Uh, I'm guessing that we're going to get some like blood soaked neon slasher goodness here. And I'm I'm down for it with a performance like Pearl behind it. I'm I'm so interested in where we go with the 80s. I mean, Mia Goth's going to go absolutely nuts in this. And apparently and I, that's been happening behind the scenes also as she's, you know, <laughs> kicking extras in the head. <laughs> Maybe she was just in the in the role, in the moment, you know? I, not, right. <laughs> not, she was not method that, acting, yes, right? Yes, method acting. <laughs> not that what happened is okay, allegedly. So. Yes, allegedly, allegedly. Um, yeah, so hopefully that incident doesn't end up like holding up the release of this film uh does this even have a date yet not yet so it's, it's uh -oh. there's potential for it to get pushed uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> because if you listen closely you could hear lawyers filing papers right now so um well they better watch out for an axe yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, especially if Mia Golf is in the room. Um, well, hopefully, hopefully we get to see this film this year because uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Number three, Nosferatu. A gothic tale of obsession between a haunted young woman and the terrifying vampire infatuated with her, causing untold horror in its wake. Nosferatu is directed by Robert Eggers and stars Bill Skarsgård and Willem Dafoe. So there isn't a more perfect marriage of director and material on this list. 
I mean, Robert Eggers, the director of The Witch and Lighthouse, is making his version of the legendary German expressionist horror film Nosferatu. Uh, and not only that, you know, he's got Pennywise himself, <laughs> creepy as fuck Bill Skarsgård in the title role, uh, whose physicality feels like it's tailored made for Count Orlock. Uh, I I can't wait for this film. Uh, William Defoe is also in the movie as a vampire hunter. Apparently, he was on set with something like a couple thousand rats. <laughs> okay. I mean, they released a still shot of them from the movie, and it looks as batshit crazy as you would expect, no pun intended. Uh, I mean, what more could you possibly ask for? I'm sure Eggers will surprise us and really make this film his. I was already thrown by the fact that the film isn't in black and white. I mean, seemingly from the photos that they have released so far. But regardless, I don't think there's anyone who I trust more with this movie. So, I mean, just let Eggers do his thing. I mean, I don't know if it's like a like been there, done that for him that he wouldn't want to put it in black and white. But at the same time, almost every film he's ever done has had such great uses of heavy shadows um, throughout all of them and great uses of black in the film. I, I It's probably going to feel like a black and white film anyway. <laughs> no, I agree. I could see him really doing a lot of experimenting here. But coming just in time for Christmas for you, Damon, this is dropping December 25th. Number two. Furiosa, a Mad Max saga. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. So George Miller can do no wrong in my book. Um, Fury Road was a dystopian action-packed masterpiece that introduced us to the one and only Furiosa, uh, one of the most compelling badass action heroes of the past decade. Uh, from the trailer, this looks like her origin story, uh, which I'm all for, but I'm also excited to like take a deeper dive into the vile Morton Joe. Uh, hopefully, you know, we get more of a backstory for him and, you know, find out what his deal is because we really don't know much about him, right? Not really, but I mean, it seems like we're gonna get a lot of Dementis too, though. Chris Hemsworth is like com completely transformed in this role and I'm excited to see what he does as a villain. Yes, yes, I was gonna bring that up because I don't think we've ever seen him as a villain before. No. Um, not that I can recall. And I love the fact that he's rocking some prosthetics here because like like you said, I, he was completely unrecognizable. Like I had to go back, you know, and look at the credits after the trailer to figure out like, wait a second, was that actually Hemsworth? Because, you know, most good looking Hollywood actors don't want to cover up their face. But this was also an actor who felt comfortable enough to don a fat suit for the entire Endgame film. So I shouldn't be surprised, I guess. Well, this is Hidden Theaters in Summer on May 24th. Number one, Deadpool 3. Wolverine joins the Merc with a Mouth in the third installment of the Deadpool film franchise. This is directed by Sean Levy and stars Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman and a cast of thousands. Yes, apparently. Um, <laughs> so big surprise to no one. Uh, Deadpool 3 is our number one pick for most anticipated film of 2024. Uh, I mean, it's the only MCU film coming out this year. And hey, listen, with Marvel's recent rough patch, I don't think there's a more perfect film or character than, you know, Deadpool to get them back on track. I'm sure there'll be moments where he's lampooning the shit out of, you know, the MCU's most recent failings. Uh, and it should be 
really therapeutic for fans. I truly believe Deadpool can save the multiverse saga for Marvel. Uh, I mean, we have rumors that pretty much everyone from the Fox version of Marvel is set to make an appearance. And if they go with the Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe storyline, they probably aren't going to last very long, but that's okay. And oh, by the way, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is all suited up in yellow and probably wearing a mask. So that alone for this nerd makes this my most anticipated film of 2024. <laughs> He'll, he'll be wearing a mask at least for a little bit because you know that they're going to just knock it off of him and he's just going to walk the rest of the film. <laughs> Shh, Christian, it's okay. <laughs> Let me have my moment, damn it. I will, I will. I feel like we're all going to have our moment here because I don't think Disney or, or Marvel are going to do anything to ruin the, you know, formula, the winning formula of Deadpool that's been so far. You know, I feel like they're just going to let him go. Let Sean Levy go balls to the wall, do whatever the fuck they want with Ryan Reynolds. Um, with this film and as long as it works in the confines of what they're trying to do with the multiverse saga um, I, yeah. I definitely feel like they're going to achieve that at least I mean we've already had leaked photos of Sabretooth and Toad looking like they're coming directly from the first X-Men film and in the photos Toad is riding in the Fantastic Car from you know fa from the Fantastic Four so uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, this movie just looks insane at this point. On top of that, we've got rumors of Jennifer Garner reprising her role as Elektra and Ben Affleck showing up as Daredevil again. I think supposedly uh, Taylor Swift is supposed to be playing Dazzler, which makes sense since, you know, Ryan Reynolds is supposed to be really good friends with her. Um, I mean, at this point, there's just too many rumored cameos to even begin to dive into. But man, I'm really excited to see where like all this leads to. Because, I mean, we've talked about this before on other episodes, but with the way that Deadpool 2 ended, there's a way you could really make this whole like multiverse saga Deadpool's fault if you really wanted to. <laughs> since he's he's kind of the first character that really started fucking with the time stream. Uh-huh like you know chronological order wise so i mean the, him and the x-men but like we literally see wade going through the past and just fucking up shit <laughs> and that's how the movie ends so um and on top of that like we also have the rumor that you know in the upcoming secret wars film we're supposed to have a multiversal team of heroes uh, showing up to save the day. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that, you know, Wolverine and Deadpool are part of that team. It might actually play a big part of putting that team together, at least the start of it. Especially since we know that the TVA are most likely involved in this somehow. So yes, because there's also that rumor out there, which I think might have been confirmed, right? That Mobius is in this movie. I'm just hoping that somehow we get some of the what if characters, maybe not in this film, but still in Secret Wars, a part of that multiverse team. I could see Captain Carter being part of the team. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it only makes sense. And it feels like what they're setting her up for in season two is exactly that. We pretty much see her leave with the Watcher to go on more like multiverse adventures. So um, I think all that adds up. I mean, really, the whole concept of like a multiversal team is very Exiles from the comics, which was a comic that was kind of a combination of Quantum Leap and What If, but it was just highly entertaining. And it's always what I think about uh, when I think of like the, the idea behind the uh, Guardians of the Multiverse. Mm. So I could see that kind of coming into play with Secret Wars. But this, of course, is just reckless speculation <laughs> on my part. <laughs> 
you know, I do get worried every time, you know, we, we go into one of these multiverse films with like a million cameos promised or, you know, speculated about and mm -hmm. uh, like, is there going to be enough time for all these characters? Are they actually going to be there? Is it going to live up to it? Like we had Multiverse of Madness and that didn't really live up to all the hype beforehand. I think if there's one film that can handle cameo porn, it's Deadpool because it's like the one movie that, you know, will make it part of the plot and also kind of a gag too. And remember, for every multiverse of madness, we've got a no way home, right? Which is the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, you, you know, we had tons of rumors, you know, building up the film for months, if not a year or two, um, to just unreasonable expectations. And it fucking delivered in every way possible. I think it really comes down to who's behind the film and their understanding of the characters and like them using them organically. And in the case of Deadpool 3, most of them are probably just going to die, so. <laughs> but it works for Deadpool 3. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which we'll see come out July 26th. But that's our list. For the most anticipated films of 2024, we would love to hear yours on social media. That's at Amazing Nerd Show on all your favorite platforms and or leave it in the comments below. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. It's showtime.